Years ago in a seminary class, we were studying a scriptural account of a woman, and one of the young men blurted out that he felt the lesson didn't apply to the boys in the class because it was about a woman in the scriptures. Immediately, one of the older girls in class responded that girls spent much of their scripture study efforts applying lessons learned from stories about men, and that if they could do it, so could he. That young man hopefully learned a valuable lesson that day. It is an unfortunate fact that we have precious few records of women's interactions with God in Scripture. However, we can make the most of these few accounts by giving them extra attention and appreciating the universal lessons that can be learned by all of this. This week, we get to study one of the most powerful stories of a righteous woman in Scripture as we dive into the book of Esther. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello again. Happy summer. Welcome to this week's episode. Um, You'll notice that I'm here this week, and that's almost more shocking, I think, than... (laughs) than not but you'll probably notice also that I have a deepened voice because you went through puberty yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) because I was out last week because I'm like I don't even want to try to talk on the episode um so for your sake and for mine thank you to Zach for heading that up last week and hopefully you can put up with a slightly deepened voice this is I can lower my voice so that it feels more equal I like that you start to do it as we say, as you say, <laughs> I can deepen my, anyway, it feels more like a radio voice. So anyway, we're happy to be back with our summer episodes with slightly shortened episodes, um, are really kind of cut in half, except I noticed when Zach was on his own, he went, <laughs> he went 20 minutes, but, um, anyway, we're just glad to be here studying this week. I think these are my favorite weeks of our Bible study as we study the Old Testament, where we just get to really envelop ourselves into a story. And this is one of our favorites. It's Esther, um, one you know, you probably know well, um, or at least know parts of. And so we're excited to give you a little more into what you can be focusing on this week and looking for as you study this book. Our study is just all of her, um, I can't even remember how many chapters, eight, ten chapters, mm-hmm. Um, so enjoy this and we will get started. Well, yeah. And like you said, this is one of our favorite stories. I think it's a lot of people's favorite story because, um, it's, it's such a captivating story. There's, there's different genres of writing in the Hebrew Bible. You know, we're heading into in the next couple of weeks. We'll have some of the poetic, uh, books of scripture, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, We'll get some prophetic writings in Isaiah and Jeremiah, but this is just straight up story. Um, and it's filled with with suspense and a protagonist and an antagonist, and it's really a beautiful story. Maybe that's why it's everyone's favorite. It's a little bit. It's one of those digestible, really rich, easy to read stories. Yeah. yeah. Well, as I thought about it this week, I thought you know this is really kind of an artistic story as well. Not that it's not accurate or that it's not factual. But it's told in a deliberately um, illustrative way. You are meant to picture this story. 
And as I've thought about it, this upcoming week with my institute students, we're studying the story. And one of the things that um, I'm excited to do is to draw on some skills of uh, art appreciation and apply them to this particular story. And so I've looked around a little bit. I, I'm not an art historian or an expert in any sense, but I do have a love of art and I love going to museums. We've gone to quite a few in the last couple of years. And I've noticed that there's a difference between walking by a piece of art and saying, oh, that's really cool, and pausing just a bit to look deeper at some of the details. And when you do, art can help us to see something different, think something different, or feel something different. And it takes a little bit of effort it takes a pause and noticing some of the intricate details in order for that seeing, thinking, or feeling to be different. But I love um, works of art and spending time with art that can have that impact. And so I thought as we look at Esther this week, there are some details that if we look at can help us to either see the story or maybe more importantly see ourselves and our relationship with God a little bit differently, to think something different or to feel something different than maybe would if we just give it a cursory glance. I really like this because as you know, if you've been around the podcast for a few years or even just maybe a little bit, um, you have heard us talk about that, that learn, feel, do, and become. And I think that these lessons that you're talking about in art appreciation, um, seeing, thinking, feeling, and doing something different are applicable in all forms of art, whether it's literature or poetry or fine art. And I think that it's a fun way to look at the Bible this way as a work of art, because it is, it's a story, it's literature, it's people telling about their experiences. So it helps us to experience God in this new way. Yeah. So what we want to do in this shorter episode is give you two potential places, two areas of the canvas, if you will, that if you spend a little bit of time pausing and looking at details, could give you a greater appreciation for the story and could help you see, think, feel, or maybe do something differently because of the story. The first place is, uh, if you have read already, or if you haven't, maybe you already know the story, it begins not with Esther, but with Vashti, who is the queen of Persia. This story takes place actually a little bit backwards from where we ended with Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Persia is still the kind of world power in the Middle East. They govern and control all of the land. And the Jews live in captivity in Persia. They don't have their own land. Uh, Hasuerus is the king of Persia and Vashti is the queen. And at the beginning of the book, Vashti refuses to come when the king calls her. And because of that, uh, the king essentially divorces Vashti. Now, that detail I think is significant, especially if you know that in Scripture, especially in Hebrew Scripture, uh, there is often symbolism in a relationship between women and men. Jesus does this all the time when he tells parables where the woman in the story represents the people and the man or the king in the story represents God. And so one way to look at this story symbolically is to see that at the beginning of the story, what's happening is a separation between people and king, between us and God. 
which then completely changes the way we see the story. This isn't just a story about one individual woman's bravery. It's a story about how we can be brought back into the presence of the king, how that broken relationship with the king can be healed. And so then you end up looking at uh, Esther chapter 4, at those wonderful verses where uh, Esther is asked by Mordecai to go in front of the king, that wonderful phrase in verse 14, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther uh, asks that people fast and she goes in front of the king. And then I love looking at verse five or chapter five, verses one through three, through this symbolic lens. Listen and look for the way that Esther um, brings her people back into harmony with the king. Verse one, now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee even to the half of the kingdom. Now there's some powerful symbolism there where we can see ourselves in Esther and our efforts to come back in front of the king. But I especially love looking at Esther as a type or shadow of Christ as she on the third day puts on her royal apparel, comes to the inner court of the king's house, and on behalf of her people, seeks an audience with the king so that she can mediate their relationship. She'll go on to say later on in chapter 6, we are sold, I and my people. And she pleads on behalf of her people with the king. And her request is granted. Her mediation is rewarded. And I love that detail of the story because I think it can help us see or think or feel a little bit differently about our relationship with God. Well, Zach, I don't know if you've said this specifically, but in your notes that you wrote, um, you wrote healing the breach, that that's mm. the role of Esther. And whether you said that specifically or not, I really like that idea and the thought of that that's what this story teaches us about about Esther and about the Savior, like you said, um, because I love I love this verse in um, chapter eight. This is verse six. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people, or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? This desire that she had to help heal and be a symbol for her people and to stand up for them and do do what she believed to be right, even though it was not convenient or not easy for her. Um, I think that's a good lesson for us to remember what, what the Savior did and also what sometimes what position we're put in um, as we kind of fight for our faith or fight for um, belief and understanding of who the Savior is and what he means for us. Yeah, I, I love that. Fighting for, for our people, right? Who is it that we represent in front of the King? Who is it that we can um, bring back into his presence or what breaches can we look to heal um, for those around us. I love that. The second place that I think deserves a little bit of attention is 
um, the characters of Haman and Mordecai in the story. They're deliberately placed, kind of like Vashti and Esther, in opposition to each other. Uh, Haman is the king's advisor, and he despises Mordecai. This is chapter 5, verse 13. Yet all this availeth me nothing. He's talking about the praise and the honor that has come to him, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. There is an obvious rivalry and even hatred that Haman has for Mordecai. Even though he is in an honored position with the king, he cannot stand that Mordecai, in fact, in the very next chapter, Mordecai will be honored by the king in this great reversal. Haman comes in front of the king and uh, and asks the king, why don't you uh, get out your best, your best wardrobe and put it on the person that you most want to honor? And so the king says, great, go grab Mordecai let's put it on him. And Haman's just falls apart um, and his, his hatred of Mordecai rises even more. Now, that's an interesting part of the story, but if you're looking at it symbolically, there are two characters in the story of salvation that fit very powerfully those symbols. One, an adversary, and Mordecai, or Haman is referred to often in the story as the adversary, who despises uh, the Savior. Satan despises the Savior. I hear a lot of people misquote the quote-unquote war in heaven that Satan wanted a plan that would bring everybody back to God. And and uh, sometimes people will ask, well, what's so wrong with that plan? It seems like a good plan. Well, it wasn't a plan. It was a rebellion against the plan. The plan was that Jesus, the chosen from the beginning, would be the Savior of mankind. What Lucifer was proposing was a rebellion against that plan because of his hatred for the Savior. And so reading that as Mordecai then elevates, or reading that as Haman elevates Mordecai and his role in the story. And so this is uh, chapter 8. Um, Esther prevails uh, with the king to reverse the order that Haman had got the king to agree to, which is that all the Jews will be killed. So that order can be reversed. And the person that's going to do the reversing of that order, the person that's going to write on behalf of the king is Mordecai. The king says, essentially in verse 8, Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. And so in chapter 8, verse 9, Mordecai wrote... Uh, in the name of King Ahasuerus, and sealed it with the king's ring in verse 10. And then I love this in verse 15. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, and with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Another great place where we can see symbolize the Savior and his uh, role in bringing salvation to his people. We hope that seeing these people and these details about their story helps you to appreciate this story of Esther a little bit more, or maybe just enrich your study a little bit more this week as you dive into your study of Esther. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you have a great week.